0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Russian and Eurasian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Colleen McQuillan, a host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Anne Eakin Moss about her new book, Only Among Women Philosophies of Community in the Russian and Soviet Imagination, 1860 to 1940. Dr. Eakin Moss is an assistant professor in the Department of Comparative Thought and Literature at Johns Hopkins University. Anne Egan Moss, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Anne, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Um, I did my doctoral degree in Slavic languages and literatures at Stanford University, um, where this book was born um, as a doctoral dissertation. Um, And then I've been teaching at Johns Hopkins University for the past 15 years in various positions, Um, and I've had the privilege of being in a department variously construed as a comparative literature and a kind of intellectual history department. So I was able to put my background in Russian literature and intellectual history in dialogue with uh, people who are thinking across comparative lines um, about a range of issues in aesthetics and philosophy um, where a really pressing concern has been this this, um, understanding of community and intersubjectivity. Um, And that really helped me crystallize the book um, into what it became. Um, uh, But I have, I guess the first public announcement of um, a career change for me, I'm actually moving to the University of Chicago in the fall uh, to join the Department of Slavic Languages and Literatures there. Um, so that's an exciting uh, return to my roots um, in, for for 2021.
0: That is very exciting. Congratulations.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited.
0: So you mentioned that you began your work on this project as your doctoral dissertation. I'm wondering if you could kind of walk us through how you discovered this topic of women's communities and their cultural representations. Sure.
1: The, the whole project really was born out of the sheer readerly pleasure I took in um, Tolstoy's War and Peace um, long ago, uh, before before I, you know, at the very beginning of my my doctoral career. Um and coming across these moments of of pure pleasure in, in the relationships between young girls and then older women, you know, women at various stages of their of their of their lives, um, and I had this instinct that there was something strange and different about about women's relationships in *War and Peace*, and um, wanted to understand what the genealogy of this relationship was because I don't didn't couldn't think of any place in Western literature where women's relations really had a had had a plot had motivation. I mean, I think if you isolated the women's relations in *War and Peace*, it would create a novel. I mean, it would, it would be the length of a novel in and of itself. Um, and that kind of assumption was confirmed when I read Sharon Marcus's book, Between Women, Friendship, Desire, and Marriage in Victorian England. Um, and in this book, she makes the argument that women's relations are really subordinate to the to the marriage plot in the Victorian novel. I um, thought the fact that, that Natasha and Sonia have this incredibly precious and important relationship that helps, um, helps protect Natasha from some of the consequences of the affair, um, the the aborted abortive affair with Anatole at at the beginning of war and peace. And then, you know, blossoms into this mature relationship with Maria um, over Prince Andre's deathbed. Uh, This was a novel in and of itself. It was really something different. Um, So I embarked upon a project of, of, collecting these moments of, of exceptional women's relations in Russian culture, and this sent me backwards in time to Chernyshevsky's What Is To Be Done, and then forwards in time to the Stalinist musicals of Grigory Alexandrov and Ivan Pyryev, And I've had this shock of recognition of both the Chernyshevsky and Chernyshevsky um, women's textile commune and the exceptional relationships, uh, friendships in in Tolstoy's War and Peace. So there's something in Congress. There was a problem there that I wanted to solve.
0: Mm. So you note here that uh, Chernyshevsky that why is that name complicated for us to say (laughs) that Chernyshevsky was sort of formative Um, and I recall a moment in the book where you write that uh, and I'm going to actually quote you here um, that the book can be seen quote as a history of the reception of Chernyshevsky's what is to be done by tracing a concept which in many respects was born with the novel the notion that women's relations are inherently progressive. Could you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, I I called the um,
1: the Chernyshevsky chapter rational because um, of course we associate Chernyshevsky with this idea of rational egoism, right? that that um, utilitarian philosophy that um, one will choose the choose to uh, advance the greater good in order to benefit the self. Um, but the male characters in the novel end up finding, helping others to be some kind of a roadblock, right? That, that there will be some um, disadvantage to the self, but the female characters in the novel, of course, Vyoda Pavlova, as the, the most important um, exemplar of this, um, makes decisions to help other people in order to help the greater good, specifically women, right? They see, um, they see the plight of other women to be a barrier to their own happiness. Um, And so the, the, the textile collective that, um, the the, the sewing collective that Fyodor Pavlovna creates um, multiplies, multiplies um, in, in a progressive manner, and it kind of radiates from her and progresses out to the rest of society. Um, And it's, because of the series of dreams in which she imagines some kind of externalized goddess that inspires her to to realize herself and her potential and her, um, her the necessity of this project for for the greater good, um, and that kind of mathematical progression um, of of the greater good is something that of course Leo Tolstoy found anathematic to his sense of of and, and and Dostoevsky as well, although I don't write as much about Dostoevsky in the book, um, and so this assumption of of a progressivism in women's relations is something that Tolstoy rewrites into a kind of instinct for uh, instinctive sympathy that women have for other women, um, that that radiates out of their relationships in the novel um, into into other spheres. Um and, and that's kind of crucial to Tolstoy. So it's not a progressivism in in Tolstoy, but there's a similar um sense that 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 women are exceptional. Um you know, that, that runs through Tolstoy, Chernyshevsky and Dostoevsky, right? They're very different thinkers and authors, but they have this common assumption of female exceptional exceptionalism. Um of course it's an exceptionalism that masks an essentialism, an essentializing notion of, of um women's superiority Um, that of course comes from the biology that comes from, for for Tolstoy in particular. Um, But that also comes from an assumption that women don't have as much of, um, as much of a shell, like the shell of individualist autonomy um, that comes from um, the influence of, of Western enlightenment philosophy. There's something that's less touched uh, in women that allows them to overcome Um, uh, uh, overcome autonomy, egoism, and individualism.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the title of your chapter on Chernyshevsky, which is rational, because I find the organization of your book and the chapter titles, which are each a single adjective, to be quite brilliant. Um, can you say a bit more about the chapter titles and why you chose them?
1: Sure. Thanks. Yeah. I, um, I, I was able to distill, I decided I would distill the, the idea, the sense of community and each of the kind of chronotopes of the novel, of the, of the book um, into single words, because it captured, I mean, even though there are interesting ways in which, um, Particularly in the Chernyshevsky chapter, right? Pav, I, I'm making the argument that Fyodor Pavlovna's um, instinct for community is something other than rational, but it captures the, I think, the overarching, um, you know, the sense of that of that novel, and it's in its afterlives, um, in its afterlives through um, through the 1930s, um, and you know through through the Russian Revolution, um, and then each. Each chapter kind of interrogates that overarching adjective, that phrase, um, rational. The Tolstoy chapter is called organic, um, and as kind of a shorthand for thinking about this um, notion of women's instinctive um, organic relationship to, 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 to a kind of community that's, that's construed as a national Russian community at the end of War and Peace at any rate. Um, and then the middle chapter is called inoperative and i think that's the most um the most it, the term that's the most adjacent to my text i mean that that comes less imminently from my text because it's um my way of interrogating um jean luc nancy's idea of the inoperative community through the texts of chekhov there's um i guess i kind of left out in my overview of the book from Tolstoy and Chekhovsky to the Stalinist um, tractor musical, um, The two middle chapters of the book, which are called um, inoperative and erotic. And they are the two um, chapters of the book that kind of undo in strange ways, this idealism of, um, of women's community in the ter- Chernyshevsky and Tolstoy chapters. So the, um, the chapter inoperative uh, treats Chekhov's late fiction mostly, um and thinks about ways in which Chekhov have unmakes all of the ideals of the the nineteenth century novel um and i think most emblematic of that inoperative um uh, and, and i'm sorry the 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 term in french um is um uh in jean luc nancy's uh work of um of in 1986, I think it is, um, and this is a philosophical work that's uh, intended to undo or to rethink um, the, the uses to which com- notions of community are put through the 20th century. Nancy is, is concerned mostly about um, fascism and Bolshevism as notions of community that, um, that were the, the motivation for you know, some of the bloodiest events of the 20th century. And so he's thinking about ways to um, imagine community um, in community in dialogue with um, if deconstructionist thought about um, and de- deconstructionist and existentialist thought um, of the 20th century and thinking about ways in which community is can be unworked and um, and put in dialogue. <laughs> I'll, I'll strike that. Um, pause and strike this. Um, Nancy thinks about community um only in so far okay strike that again Nancy um defines community only insofar as it allows um individual members of that community to you know think about their finitude um and this really resonated um with me with with my reading of Chekhov's works and it was a um you know paradigm that was not part of the vocabulary of my dissertation or my um, initial writing on Chekhov, but um, because in some ways at first I thought Chekhov was uh, giving us a little bit of hope about the relationships among peasant women in in light of the devastation of the Russian countryside at the end of the the 19th century, Um, and that there were little moments of reaching out between women in um, thinking particularly of the, the very end of, of peasants um, in which one of the women has been, one of the peasant women comes home after having been raped and she's completely naked. And, and the, the, um, her sister-in-law who, to whom she's been you know horrible throughout the story, um, you know, recognize what is, what has happened to her without words and, you know, brings her in wordlessly and clothes her and comforts her i mean those moments of comfort in the face of you know, horrif- horrifying um poverty degradation um and like, environmental disaster in Chekhov's late stories um really struck me but and and i i was Anticipating seeing in these Chekhovian moments, I mean, in the relationship among the three sisters, you know, something selfific, um, and it was the the concept of in inoperativity and unworknessed um, in Jean Luc Nancy that gave me a vocabulary to talk about um, about a community that was not salvific. It only was what it was. It was really just a um, an enactment of vulnerability and 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 a kind of human care in the face of finitude. Uh,
0: I wanted simply to to follow up on the idea of how philosophies of community um, that are not originating. In works of literature, but are either part of the the cultural intellectual history of a particular moment. How some of those philosophies get imprinted into literary texts. Right. So maybe you can also talk about some of the more uh, traditional Russian philosophies of community that you see expressed in the texts you deal with.
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question and and, uh, um you know a question that we have to grapple with as literary scholars, right? What what do we get out of the text and what do we bring to the text? Um and how much how much can we put into the text <laughs> um yeah. externally? Yeah, well I think in some ways I see right, literary texts also as as forms of philosophy. So um so Bringing a text like Nancy's Inoperative Community to Chekhov uh, is a way of making visible, uh, I think, something that's already there in Chekhov's Chekhov's own thinking. Um, On the other hand, um, I also think that um, uh, there are ways in which texts, uh, uh, this is um Yuri Lotman's idea, you know, become a become a repository of cultural memory, right? That they accumulate and um and crystallize some of those philosophies. Um, certainly Tolstoy is you know is is grappling with with Herder, with with German romanticism, with Herder, with um with Kantian philosophy in, in his novel. Um, but then he's they're taking and remaking ideas um, you know, I, I um okay, I'm losing my thread thread. I I I started with too many ideas all at once. Um okay. Um right, so you know Lotman thinks of you know text as accumulating some kind of cultural memory and and Russian literature is not accumulating Jean Nancy, but it's a way for me to try to make visible um a a sense of the philosophy of of, um, of vulnerability that I think Chekhov is, is making um, visible. Um, then, I also um, <laughs> it's a really good question, but I'm, I'm well. I, I
0: just think about uh, this concept of of bratstva brotherhood um, that's so essential for uh, communities of writers and artists from Pushkin and the Romantics up Mm -hmm. to the symbolists um, who are deeply engaged with religious philosophers like Vladimir Solovyov, and how this idea of brotherhood um, at once implies community, but also one that is gendered. Um, So I think your your book is also engaging with the Mm -hmm. sort of normative masculine communities and the way they've been conceived of in Russian cultural history am I right
1: absolutely yeah um, and of course when we get to the to the fantasyek we're also pushing up against the you know the transformation of Brasva into um, something more like the eternal feminine right or the divine Sophia um, and embedded in the move the book makes to the turn of the century from Chekhov then to the, the chapter that I called erotic, um, we get figurations of of women together um, who come to symbolize this idea of you know, merging with with the the all unity of Solovyov or Ivanov, um, um, you know, and, and explicitly. And of course, these are writers who are engaged, who are thinking with um, Ivanov and Solovyov actively. So. Um, Chapter four uh, talks about Gorky Kuprin and Lydia Zinovieva Um and and they're imagining this. Um, they're imagining um, a community that's much more mystical and um, and it, in a completely modernist new idiom. Um, and they're hoping that they're. I think they're they're using their works to try to um, give their their readers. An opportunity to to you know concretize to, to uh, so readership becomes almost a participatory way of of experiencing the eternal feminine um, through their fiction um, and the stories that I uh, treat in chapter four include um, Gorky's story about the brothel Vaska Krasny and um, Kuprin's novel Yama um, and they're both stories in which uh, uh, prostitutes worked together to enact some kind of violent revenge on male society um, and this is kind of the lead up to, to the 1920s and the, the period that Eliot Bornstein describes as a, you know, a, a literature of men without women um, clearly there was a reason to try to expel the women, that they, there was the sense of, of kind of sexual threat um, that that is manifested in this literature and it in some ways it's um it's a way of thinking about these these um philosophies of decadence and decline um and and enact them for revolutionary ends i mean to try to um try to give them a um give them a force that that um rebels against the pacifism of Chekhov. Um, and the, the, this idea of inoperativity, um, I think the, the writing of Gorky Kuprin and Kuprin, you know, shows the potential, both the, the potential of the, of, um, the sexualized potential of this image, um, that, of this image of women together, women exclusive of men, um, like there's something threatening about it that that we don't see in, um, Tolstoy or Chekhov's writing but that then comes to the fore in the turn of the century fiction.
0: So the last chapter of your book chapter 5 entitled Bolshevik uh, which you've you've alluded to this chapter um, already, but I'm wondering if we can talk about it a little bit more extensively because it differs from the others in that it examines films. Um, why was it important for you to include the Soviet era visual representation of women's communities?
1: Yeah, it was a um, it was a challenge. It was a challenge even. Um, as a dissertation, right, to move from literary texts to visual representation, um, but in part I was following I was following this um, constellation, this 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 image of women together, um, and uh, it was uh, reading L.A. Bornstein's book. made me think made me think, right? Well, maybe it's disappeared. I mean, I guess men without women um, means that women don't have a um, women don't play. Nope. let me start that over again. Um, yes, yeah, so it was a challenge to move from um, literary texts to to um, writing about cinema, um, and in part, it's one of the reasons it took me so long to turn to turn this um, project into a book, um, because I wanted to be able to learn the the vocabulary and the um, the the vocabulary the tactics of, of film theory um in order to to write authentically about cinema um, but i was really following this this theme of um women uh, groups of women exclusive of men um they they there's so many women um together in soviet cinema of the 1930s um in musical films, in in kind of dramatic films, films of all genres have women interacting. Soviet cinema of the 1930s often passes the Bechdel test in ways that um, are surprising. Um, But it was also my sense uh, through the study that I wanted to try to um, trace not just an image of women together, but also to try to have a sense of the effects and Affects of this theme on um, readers and spectators of the time. So, in each chapter, I try to um, try to find some evidence of the impact of um, of the writing of first Chekhovsky and then Tolstoy um, on readers and interpreters of the day. I mean, to try to understand um, what it meant for this idea of. Women's community to um, manifest itself, um, and and so um, moving to Stalinist cinema also meant moving to the genre that had such purchase in the 1930s, um, because uh, these films were wildly popular. I mean, had a had a wildly popular um, following, and the stars of the films got fan mail, and women would write to Leo Bovarlova and say, oh, I want to be just like, um, just like, um, just like the hero of Put of the radiant path. I mean, and, um, and the, the stars in the films also said, you know, we are taking we, these, these characters come out of our Soviet reality. So, um, so it was both following the, the afterlives of the, um, the idea of the women's sewing commune in Chernyshevsky, um, but also, you know, following the canon. I mean, in some ways, it's a it's a it's a very canonical. I, I'm not recovering lesser-known writers. I'm I'm following a theme that I think is um, maybe hidden but important to the development of the Russian canon um, and its uses and transformations in Soviet culture. Um, so, um, I had a lot of fun with this part of the, the project too. Um, and it also kind of inspired, um, inspired the, the next project that I've been working on, um, which is more about the stylistics of, of Soviet cinema and exactly how the, the, um, the affects of Soviet cinema are, are, um, transmitted through the specific, um, technological and cinematographic techniques of of Soviet cinema in the 1930s
0: that sounds like an exciting project. Um, I was planning to ask you if you have a favorite chapter and it sounds like the that chapter five might be it am I right? Well I have to say I mean, the the Chekhov chapter
1: um, is really the moral center of the book and it was the um, it was when I was crafting the book as a book uh, that was Writing about Chekhov really, really brought the stakes of the of the book into focus. Um, In part because I was um, well, both you know, both the on both ends of the of the time frame of the book, we have such um, clear and ideological visions for what women ought to represent and what women ought to um, ought to do for for society um in the hands of these of male writers and um and in the hands of a, a film apparatus um, not thoroughly controlled but you know um, shaped by the by the soviet state so um in some ways it was it was more direct to write about the the ideological um appropriations of, of this representation of women's relationships. Um, but to see in, in Chekhov's writing, um, you know, cynicism about, about that idealization and yet, um, you know, a humanism, you know, kind of humanism that, um, allows allows relationships among women to stand for um, you know just the most basic um, kinds of care for the vulnerable and and for the earth um, that was what made the stakes of the project um feel contemporary to me
0: so one of the things that your book does in charting this eighty year period is to show how there is uh, sort of an I- idealized community of, of women um, starting with Chernyshevsky and then around the, the turn of the century specifically in this uh, your Chekhov chapter then operative, um, we see how there's fragmentation and then you chart the the reenchantment in the chapter Bolshevik um, and in your 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 epilogue you sort of gesture toward the possibility for again fragmentation um you know suggesting that we might have kind of a continuum of pendulum swings um would you care to elaborate a little bit on what comes after uh, the bolshevik period in terms of women's communities
1: yeah and in some ways that epilogue you know points to i hope to point to new work that other that others might do um but i think um I, as much as there's fragmentation, I might even um you know in the wake of some of the the protests of you know recent weeks and years see um See as much a um, kind of mobilization of of um, some of the some of Gorky's imagination of the, the possibilities for um, kind of women's community to stand for um, a kind of spontaneous um, uprising, spontaneous anger that that might be needed. I mean, I think the Pussy Riot um, actions um, have been have been you know and then this is a little bit i hesitate to to go beyond my expertise but um, i think they've been indicative of the the power of some of the um uh, the, the the continued power of of um this performance of women's solidarity to to have um you know revolutionary and shocking potential um so as much as um you know, I think I maybe mean, in the fiction of um the post-Soviet period we see more more evidence for fragmentation and a um uh, yeah, hesitance to romanticize. Um, I think there's also been uh, you know and in the, the Me Too movement too, right? There's been more of a um willingness to see women's solidarity as um as a progressive force that has, uh, you know, potential in the world today. Um, you know, it's also, uh, you know, uh, well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit to say that, um, you know, my, the book started in some ways as a kind of feminist reading of Russian literature, um, kind of in, it, to, to add to works like uh, Barbara Helt's "Terrible Perfection," you know, it, it recovery of um, reading of spaces between women in Russian culture, and as I rewrote the project in dialogue here at the um, in, in my department at Johns Hopkins, um, it was first the Humanities Center and it was only recently renamed the um, Department of Comparative Thought and Literature. I I pushed away from the The explicitly feminist feminist reading, I mean, thinking through the project as a um, as a recovery and thought about ways in which um, these these motifs or these these um, these images of of women's relations was also a kind of performative. I mean, kind of gave the possibility for thinking. how women together ought to perform their femininity, right? They shifted away from representation and thought about um, active performance of of gender roles and the way in which Russian literature and culture made certain kinds of roles um, available for women, um, uh, for people who identify as women in in Russian culture. Um, And also, this also allowed me to see um figures like the, the cross-dressing pilgrim in Tolstoy's War and Peace, who who um with whom Maria has this interesting relationship, um, and even the kind of disavowal of gender at the end of resurrection, um, as really interesting sites of um of awareness of of the way in which um gender can be performed. Um so, so that was um, this all to say that uh, you know the book through went through this transformation, and um, and then um, oh gee I forgot the beginning of what I was trying where I was going in all of this. Um, what was it that you asked me? Sorry.
0: Oh, just about the kind of cyclical nature of of idealization. Of women's communities yes. versus uh, these moments when there's more fragmentation, uh, yes. I guess, in the representations. Right. right,
1: right. right. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, um, okay. And so uh, then when I got to, uh, you know, when I got to reading also the the cinematic and thinking through the um, the roles for which um, the the, the, the the modes of identification made available to Soviet spectators in the nineteen thirties um I also looked at these films you know initially through um through a kind of psychoanalytic lens to you know understand where the avenues of desire what avenues of desire were made made available in um in films with Female heroines, women, you know, relation in, in relations with other women. Um, ah, Okay, I'm going to strike that too. That was not so good. Um, I'm I'm still I got lost in my cycle, but I was headed somewhere about. Um,
0: was it to do with the contemporary? Because my my yeah. question also sort of touched on the, the notion that we see this continual pendulum s- swing where we go from um, idealization to fragmentation back to idealization with the re-enchantment of the Soviet period and then mm-hmm. post-Soviet fragmentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is this sort of uh, the standard reaction that we see in you know, literary history also being uh, manifested in the representations of, of women's communities? Um, or, you know, should we, should we not hasten to extrapolate, right, and just keep our focus on, on the period under consideration in your book? I don't want to force you to no, 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 go no, beyond okay. the parameters of the book, which is, is kind of where I was um, headed in referencing no, no, your okay. epilogue. I think, I think
1: the problem was that I was, yes, I was, I was headed too far back in order to make some simple point about the politics of today, because I ended up the previous comment about um, kind of the relevance of um, the relevance of thinking through um, the, the uses to which um, idealized images of women have been put in the era of, of me too. And this, you know, this, um, Sense of of um, both w- women's political um, the, the potential of of women to be seen as a political actors, um, a, you know, com- communal political actors, um, um, but then also um, the importance of seeing these um, these ideals as as kind of performative roles to be put on and used in various ways. I mean, in that sense of performativity, also. I think fuels a a, um, a, a th- that that kind of awareness of the performative roles or the the, the, the potential of of these roles to be um, not essential not biological but um, kinds of performances that are made available by the canon by by this accumulation of cultural memory um, also allows for you know fragmentariness to be politically. Um, politically progressive. I mean, for, there, there'd be a, a, a politics to fragmentation, um, and a, a, a merit to, to having, um, to fragmentation. Um, I'm not sure I would claim there to be a, a cyclical, I, I won't, I won't make any predictions about the future, but I think that's where we are now. I mean, in this, in this, um, in this moment of, of fragmentation of ideals, um, you know, in part, in reaction to, um, in reaction to the politics of today, and um, you know, a, a modern sense of um, of no stereotypes. Uh, for, of stereotypes to be to be parodied, mocked, undermined. Um, you know, that's that's part of our modern sense, and that's um, one of the reasons I included the. Um, treatment of Kira Muratova's uh, Chekhovian motifs, because I think she um, makes so visible the performativity of of all sorts of roles in that film.
0: It sounds like another, if not book, then at least article on gender performativity and women's political activism in the post-Soviet period would be really fascinating. Um, I also can think of of the Ukrainian group Femen uh, that is using their bodies um, in a very political way. Um, And uh, yeah, I, you know, not to put anything more on your, on your plate, but, um, I could imagine that being a, a wonderful article. Um, so, and I feel I've taken up, uh, enough of your time already. Um, but before we go, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about what you're working on. I know you mentioned, um, that you are, um, thinking about expanding on the Soviet cinema angle.
1: Yes. I've, um, been working for quite some time now, actually, on a book um, that I've tentatively titled The Special Effects of Soviet Wonder. Um, And there are a few articles out there in the world, um, actually one that just came out this past month uh, from the journal Film History on um, Alexander Ptushko's film the new Gulliver, it's a, a Soviet adaptation of Gulliver's Travels, and it combines stop-motion animation and live action, um, you know, to imagine a young pioneer who finds himself, wakes up in in in, in Lilliput and, you know, brings socialist revolution to Lilliput. Um, but it came out of, uh, it really did come out of that chapter five and trying to understand how exactly um, cinema strives to work on its spectator um, and and my hunch that there's something different about the way soviet cinema in this um and its classical um formative decade of the 1930s developed in opposition to um the classical hollywood paradigms of um of of montage and uh, continuity um cinema editing as opposed to um some of the strange disruptive um, moments in Stalinist cinema that really try to um, immerse the spectator kind of permeate through the screen and impose the kind of notion of community that's being generated on screen um, and, and to, to uh, incorporate the spectator the, the Soviet spectator into that community community not through kind of not as much through immersion in in the continuity of the narrative, but instead in the visual, affective, um, emotional register. Um, and so, I've been working for some time on uncovering um, some of the some of the specific tactics and stylistics of of that period. Um, and um, it, it's taken me more in this media studies um, investigation of the technology of Soviet cinema. So I've been really fascinated by the cinematographer um, Vladimir Nielsen, who um, created some of the best tricks of Grigory Alexandrov's films of the 1930s, um, the combination shooting. But what does it mean to create Soviet special effects? Um, you know when Soviet cinema is ostensibly a mimetic representation of Soviet reality. You know why do you need special effects exactly um, to get that across? So what what would those what would the special effects of Soviet cinema be on the spectator, and and how do we get there?
0: And that sounds like another really wonderful project. Um, I want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed hearing about your book, Only Among Women, Philosophies of Community in the Russian and Soviet Imagination, 1860 to 1940. Thank you so much for having me. Take care.